The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. The Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so we've dealt with that. We come to the end of Deuteronomy, and we've learned so much about God being a covenant God, uh, revealing his desire to redeem mankind, revealing his holiness in Leviticus, revealing his faithfulness and his patience as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness in the book of Numbers, and just reiterated everything to a new generation, saying, this is how I want you to walk, this is how I want you to live in the book of Deuteronomy, and how he is expecting, desiring, loving obedience from his children. He doesn't want rote obedience, he doesn't want a task list, he wants loving obedience in response to his love towards them, his patience towards them, he wants them to mirror it. And so as we think about the opening of Scripture, God has revealed himself to Abraham, he said, I'm going to make your family a great nation, and through your family, I'm going to bless all the families of the, of the world by bringing the Messiah uh, through, the, um, through the family of Abraham, through Israel. Through Moses, they are, in, they are in Egypt. They're in bondage 430 years. Through Moses, God calls Moses to be that deliverer and to lead them out of Egypt and to lead them into the promised land. His desire was that they would go right to the promised land and that they would trek there, but they um, did not enter in um, because of unbelief, and then they wandered for those many years, those 40 years in the desert. Well, a generation died off, but God was faithful to them. He is faithful all the way through. And so now we are at the point, they're at the, at the, the threshold of the promised land. They're ready to go in. Finally, this new generation is ready to go in. They're going to believe God. They're going <laughs> to conquer their enemies with the help of God. And that's what opens up the book of Joshua. And I want you to notice, especially as we begin this tonight, Joshua chapter 23 and verse number 10, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God. Notice all caps, Jehovah your God. He it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. As they were going into the promised land, God did not say, you're going to go and fight this victory on your own. You're not going to get this victory on your own. It's going to be the Lord your God, which is a good reminder to us that if we are to live in the promised land of the fullness of the presence of God, it is the Lord that gives us the strength. We do not fight our own battles. We, uh, we fight with, uh, with the Lord, and he fights the battle for us. The battle is indeed the Lord's. The uh, spiritual battle that is in front of you today is the Lord's. My wife gave me for Father's Day, she gave me a coin. I don't know where she found it, but it is a coin, one of those uh, ones you carry around in your pocket, and it is the armor of God. It's listed all out on one side, and then on the other side, it says, put on the whole armor of God, praying always. And so that f finishes up verse 18 right there. What a good reminder. And the fact is, the battle is the Lord's. We do not fight the spiritual battle on our own. We need the Lord's help. And he would get that across, especially right in the first chapter of Joshua. He'd say, listen, I'm calling you to be courageous, but be strong in me, Joshua. Be strong in the Lord. Be, uh, have, have me as your leader. And so Joshua, as we jump into this, means his name means God saves. God saves. What a wonderful reminder to Joshua as he would go into battle and lead these millions of people into the battle and into the promised land. By the way, may I just note, they were not just going in and taking over land and robbing it from uh, people. They're going in and taking the, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land, was an act of judgment against the Canaanites that were in there. God had given them 430 years to repent, and they did not. And so God was 
perfectly justified in using his own people to bring judgment upon those very, very wicked people and bring them to justice before him by allowing the, uh, his, uh, his people, the Israelites, to go in and um, possess the land. So they were to go and take it all. Joshua, the focus of Joshua, is really helping us understand that God is the ultimate leader, not Joshua. God is the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate promise keeper. He's the one that is a present hope to those that he is saving, that he gives salvation to, that he gives victory towards. So God leads his people forward in the spiritual battle. Not, not a man, but God himself leads us forward. And that's the same today. We remember even within the church, God is the one who said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Colossians tells us that he is to have preeminence in the church. He's the founder of the church. He's the one that leads the church forward. And so this story here in Joshua is one about God's battle, and we get to participate in the battle. And may we not forget that, that very important point. Every day that we wake up, God is the, is the victor. He's the one that's waging the war. We get to participate in it as we submit to his will. Victory is found by following and trusting God, not in working in my own strength and not working according to my own plan. We work our own plan, it doesn't work. <laughs> we figure that out, don't we? Pretty quick, guys. It's amazing how far off we can get. We work our own plan, it doesn't work. God says, submit, uh, submit to me, follow me, do my will, and I will give you the victory. I will provide for your needs. I will provide all the victory that you need. I will give it to you if you simply follow and trust me. And so the story of Joshua really starts with the opening verse is Moses is now dead. He's no longer on the scene. We are turning the chapter in Israel's history. The events of, of Joshua span about 25 years. Joshua is this new leader. He's leading the people. Can you imagine the feeling of responsibility that is settling in upon him? And he's leading this new pe on this people into this land. It's an epic story of victory, of defeat, of a struggling nation, struggling forward to follow God. They weren't always perfect. Think about Jericho. Think about Ai. They didn't always follow God as they ought to. And so the book covers the beginning of conquest, and what is interesting, the conquest never really ends. In fact, Israel never follows through on completely ridding, uh, ridding that land of the Canaanites, and they were a nemesis to them throughout their existence. Whenever we do not rid our lives of sin, it will come back, it will creep in, it will, it will, it will bring bondage upon us, it will cause problems. If we do not take it all the way, if we do not go all the way with God, go all the way uh, with, with his holiness and applying that in our lives, it will come back to bite us just like the Canaanites over and over came back to bite and bring the Israelites into bondage and cause them to, their hearts to be alert to other gods. And so it, it just behooves us to, to, to have this in mind. We must go all the way with God. So chapters 1 and 5, Joshua leads the people into the land. He's leading them into, uh, across the Jordan, into the land. He's, he's making those plans to get them in. Chapters 6 through 12, the battles begin, Jericho being the first one. This was a very, very strategic, uh, a strategic battle and really going into the land and splitting it. 
and, uh, and this was going to be a strategic victory. And you, can't, you just imagine them walking around seven times, or it's one time for seven days in a row, and then on the seventh day, walking around seven times, probably, uh, if, 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 they've, uh, if they've calculated it right, it's probably about an hour trip all the way around. But still, you're talking about a lot of people that are traveling around seven hours straight of walking on that seventh day. What an amazing task. And you know what? That would have been kind of unnerving. You have, a, you have a, a criminal walk your house seven times. You're calling the police, right? It would have been a little bit unnerving to them as they, as they uh, seize that. But again, the battle would not be theirs. It would be the Lord's. And you know how it goes. They were to walk around in silence, trusting the Lord. And on that seventh time, on the seventh day, they were to give a great shout, and the walls came tumbling down. They literally came straight down. And then on that success, they go up to Ai, thinking they got this, right? This is exactly what we do. I've been successful. I've had a spiritual victory. Now I can go forward in my own strength, and we get whooped. And he didn't pray. He didn't seek the face of God. The day after victory, the day after Sunday, he acted like the spiritual victory was his. He gained it. And he went into the, into the week, so to speak, and not trusting in the Lord's strength, not trusting in the Lord's wisdom. We need wisdom every single day. That's why we're to put on the armor every single day. Chapters 6 through 12 are those battles. Chapters 13 through 22, the land is divided out to the different tribes. And according to their inheritance, chapters 23 through 24, Joshua gives final words, and the major final word was this. Don't worship the gods of the Canaanites. Don't let your hearts be allured. And he ends with this question, who are you going to serve? You remember Joshua 24 and verse number 15? And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, the other side of Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's still a, a challenge that we need to take today. We need to follow that. Every man in here needs to be able to say to their family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not serving the gods of this world. We're not serving technology. We're not serving popularity. We're not serving finances. We're not serving our jobs. We're not serving the, the pleasures of this world, the philosophies of the world. We will serve the Lord. And so that's what he's doing. He is saying, hey, this is what we need to do, but they had a choice to make. As we end the book of Joshua, God is dealing with abject moral depravity in his people. There's perversion, including child sacrifice. We find it interesting that in Exodus, immediately in chapter 1, we see what we would call today abortion coming up in chapter number 1, but they were dealing here again among God's people, dealing with this, uh, this issue of child sacrifice. It is no different. It is absolutely no different than what is happening today. And this was going on among God's people. The Canaanites were turning to God. Some of the Canaanites were turning to God and being saved. Um, there's Canaanites that were remaining in the population among Israel. But you know what's amazing about this whole scenario? We see the gospel at work. God saving believing hearts like Rahab. What a story that is. A harlot and turning to the Lord and believing on Him. And what's amazing about Rahab is she gets put right into the line of Christ. 
the ability of God to restore and rescue a story. We see the blessing of obedience and following God and trusting him right there in the book of, of Joshua. It behooves us to make sure that we go all the way with God, though, that we don't leave one Canaanite in our life, that we don't leave one sin in our life, that we go all the way, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to us, be clean before God. And so that brings us to Judges. Judges begins with the death of Joshua. So it's relatively, Joshua is a relatively short, brief run. Judges is a couple hundred uh, years. And so it begins with the death of Joshua. It recounts Israel's total failure. It's really a tragic story is what it is. A tragic story. And what's going to happen is regionally, the, uh, the, the tribes of Israel are led by uh, judges, or you could say tribal chiefs. But these men who God had put in place to lead the, the, uh, the children of Israel, God's solution for leaders to judge, administrate, lead militarily uh, his people under his authority as king and God. So they were a theocracy. They were under God. A little later on, you'll remember, they said, we want a king, right? After, uh, after uh, Samuel as the prophet. And so they said, we want a king. And so they get Saul. But up until that point, they were led by God and God used judges in the land. So this is over a period of several hundred years. And what we find in the book of Judges is that God uses broken individuals, uh, individuals that struggled, men that were not perfect in any, by any means of the, our imagination, and they were broken saviors, if you will. They, um, and we learn as they lead along and as they lead under God, we learn that life is destitute, life is problematic apart from God. Whenever we stray from God, there's always going to be problems in our life. There's always going to be bondage in our life. There's always going to be a foreign entity, someone who's got to come in and, and bring bondage. And we understand that anytime we stray from God, Satan brings us into bondage to our gods, to our own lust, to our own pride, all these things. And so that's what's going on over and over. But we also learn in the book of uh, Judges the hope, the grace, and the deliverance of God when we return to him. It's like the prodigal son lived over and over and over again. I love that song that Brother Caleb chose tonight, Lord, I'm coming home. And we see this cycle going over and over throughout the book of Judges, and we'll get to that in a moment. So it takes place after Joshua dies, about 1400 B.C. If you think about uh, Deuteronomy, it ends about four, uh, 1400. 1406 and so there is a little bit of overlap uh, overlap would you give me the map or the uh the uh, timeline here and i know some of that's a little bit small but we we start there with genesis chapter 1 through 11 and we break because there's there's kind of a jump in time uh, but that that's the pentateuch there uh, all the way up through the exodus and then we get we get to the the books of history there joshua through esther and right here joshua judges and ruth are right kind of compact that little blurb you see on the timeline there is the time of the judges it goes down to uh king saul's so it's about the time frame of the judges uh several hundred uh years there that is going going on and so this period is really a period of great apostasy it's not, a, it's not an illustrious time in Israel's history. Uh, there's a breakdown of a nation. The people do not follow God. There's political, moral, spiritual decline. The people rebel against God. They enter into idolatry. They, uh, they don't believe God as they ought, which brings oppression from foreign powers. And then God raises up a, a judge to deliver them. And this cycle goes on and on uh, again. And so uh, the book surrounds different judges. 
And uh, I did not put in your notes, I, I, I thought too late to put a list of the judges in your notes. If you're interested in that, uh, I can make that available to you. But uh, it surrounds the various judges. And uh, as these judges are, are used of God, they are not, they are not perfect individuals. Uh, you can think of Samson and immediately think, whoa, what, what a... <laughs> what a piece of work uh, Samson was, or a Jephthah. Uh, these were not perfect individuals. I was just reading this morning. I'm a little behind in uh, my 90-day challenge. I, I'll just be honest. Adventure Camp got the best of me, and so I'm a little bit behind. And so I was in Judges this morning, and uh, and so I was reading through, and again, just uh, stirred about the story of Deborah and Barak. You know, just an interesting, interesting dynamic that goes on there. But these were the judges, and they were. Uh, they, God used these, uh, these individuals, imperfect though they were, to bring his people out of bondage and to deliver them from foreign entities. And so as we say this, we need to remember this. This is just like a principle of, the, of Scripture. Remember this, that, that the, the Bible does mention people. The Bible mentions issues and people who do things that are wrong. Uh, but notice the Bible does not condone everything a person, uh, a person does. There are things, stories, issues that are mentioned in Scripture that are not condoned by, by Scripture. God isn't putting it. He's just putting, he's, he's laying out what humanity has done, but not necessarily saying, this is how I want you to live. So he doesn't want you to be like Samson, right? Samson is a, per, is a good example of what we ought not to be like. And, uh, and, and so forth. So there are, there, are, uh, there are things that are mentioned even here in Judges that God does not does not condone. And so in chapters 1 and 2, we see really Israel's decline. They're walking away from God. They're not, they're not walking with God as they ought to. Israel fails to completely conquer the promised land, and this comes in to cause problems in their lives. There's idolatry that creeps up because of this. There's rampant sin that, that results because of this. And in chapters 3 through 16, we see God raising up all these judges that were just mentioned there on the, on the screen, and we see over and over God using these men, but many of them had corruption in their own lives, which is interesting. This, this is a collection of stories of good and bad traits really mixed up in these stories. Jephthah. Think about Jephthah. Isn't it interesting? Whatever comes through my door first, I'm giving it to God. I'm sacrificing it to God. And it was his daughter. She comes home. What a... What a strange story that that is. Uh, again, you think of, of Samson and all the bad traits that are there. Uh, it's amazing all that happens. God uses even corrupt leaders. We think about that. God uses us in spite of ourselves sometimes, doesn't he? We cannot say, well, God used me, and so that means he condones his sin. God uses us in spite of ourselves sometimes. Don't let, don't let your pet sin in your life that God has not, you know, not brought severe judgment on and really brought you to a, a breaking point about. Don't let the, the stain of judgment cause you to think, well, you know, God's okay with this. He's still using it over here. This is not a balance act. God wants holiness in our lives. And there was sin in these judges' lives, and God, God did use them, but he used them in, in, in spite of chapters 20, uh, 17 through 21, the corruption of the people as a whole. By the way, if the spiritual leaders are corrupt, there's going to be corruption in the people. So how important it is even in this day that the spiritual leaders, the spiritual leaders of our church, the spiritual leaders of our homes, that, that we be right with God. Why? Because if we're not, it, the corruption just spreads. The corruption spreads. And so we find in Judges 
17 and verse number 6 as we come to the end of this portion of Scripture, or really the beginning of this, this next portion. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's not a compliment. There was extreme individualism. I will do what I want to do. It was a spirit of anarchy. It was a spirit, I will not be told what to do. That's not a good spirit in our age. That's not a good spirit inside of a church. That's not a good spirit inside of our hearts towards God. Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. In those days, on chapter 21 and verse 25, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes, reiterating this was what the spirit of that age was. There's a spirit of our age. The spirit of anarchy has swept all across our country. We see it just reiterated and reiterated on the news, the spirit of anarchy that has, has crept across. But friends, if we're not careful, that same spirit will um, creep into our own hearts. That spirit of anarchy. I don't need the word of God to tell me what to do. I don't need a spiritual leader to tell me what to do. I don't need this. I can do it on my own, thank you very much. And that is the spirit that was going on in that day. And it was always leading them into bondage. The story's just repeated over and over through history. So as we think about all these judges, you can see the times that they served and the times that God used them. Uh, the, the, the most service was done by Ehud, 80 years, rescuing them from the oppressor of, of Moab. Samson finishes off, and he, they're leading them out of this whole cycle of, of, of living in peace, and then saying, boy, this is pretty good. I can go my own way. And then they go their own way, and they go back down the cycle. Show us a cycle here for a second. There's many different ways to depict this, but really you have serenity, peace with God. When we're walking in holiness, by the way, that's what the breastplate of righteousness is. I'm redeemed. I'm positionally set free from my sin, right? The breastplate of righteousness is also when I'm walking in that holiness. It's a great protection. A pure life before God is a great protection. And when we're walking in that way, there is peace with God. There is a, a fellowship with God. But soon enough, they would sin. It'd bring them into suffering. Why? Because the way of the transgressor is always hard. Always hard. We cannot sin. We cannot neglect God's word and not expect our lives to be hard. We can't. Never. And so it brings them uh, to, a, uh, to a point of, of bondage in that suffering they cry out to God, oh God, will you deliver us? That's what we do. God, at the last moment, we've, we've spurned your word and we need your deliverance now. God would bring a judge to bring salvation, deliverance to them and they come back into a point of being right with God, fellowshipping with God and having that peace with God, that serenity and then they would start all over again. Over and over and over. Can you see this cycle in your life? It amazes me how quick we can get we can get off of that relationship with God and back into sin. We need to be sober about this. We need to consider this matter. Where are you right now? Are you in this cycle? Are you at peace with God? Are you walking in fellowship with God right now? If, if not, it's time to be right with God and be in peace with God. Be completely, keep a short account with God. And so, really, the bottom line, when man forgets, God, he literally becomes a, a monster that destroys himself and others. They just walk away from God. There's just a destruction that happens, and we need God ever so very much. And the explanation of, of this, this, this human condition, we, we're going through this, 
and they're often looking for a looking for someone to deliver them, a king, a deliverer, but that, that king is ultimately found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect king, and though they would find a judge to, to deliver them and bring them out of their, their bondage, they would quickly go back to it. And you know what? I find this interesting that, that seemingly we go through, we can see this illustrated, I should say, in our political cycle. You know, every, every, every little bit, we, we need a new king. This is going to be the savior. This is going to work it all off. Really, we need Jesus Christ in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the true deliverance from all bondage. There really is. And so, as we think about this, man cannot save himself. All of man's saviors are broken. Finances are broken. Jobs are broken. Philosophies are broken. Relationships broken. All those things that we try to grab onto to save us from our bondage, those are broken, but Jesus Christ is not broken. He is the true Savior, and that is one of the things that Judges is trying to point to. There is a need for a perfect judge, a perfect Savior. And so as we come into the book of Ruth, really Ruth takes place right in the midst of the time of Judges. And so this is, again, a time of spiritual apostasy. There's a famine going on in the land. Ruth 1 and verse number 16, uh, as we just start this thought off, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and with, um, where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. There is a statement of a woman who is from Moab, from an oppressing nation, saying, I want what you have over in Israel. I want your God. I, don't, don't ask me to go back. And she is a nugget in the midst of all this apostasy of, of a foreign woman saying, I want this. I want God. And what a beautiful picture it is. So Ruth takes place at the end of the period of Judges. And, uh, and so these are, very, these are very dark days. Very dark days. Uh, spiritual, moral destitution. There's famine going on. And the cycle is continuing on uh, with Israel. And uh, this book really helps us to see the faithfulness of God to his people that he never gives up. And we, we zoom in on a family. A family that decided to leave Bethlehem and go over to Moab where the, um, where the famine wasn't going on so that they could stay alive. And in that time, uh, this family, uh, the, the two sons married two Moabite girls. And in the course of time, we find that um, both, the, both sons and the father dies. And so now we have three widows. One Israelite widow and two Moabite widows. And so it's really an amazing story of God picking up the pieces of, a, a, of the lives of his followers and putting them back together again and encouraging them and finding use for them. And so let's think through this for uh, just a little bit tonight. Uh, really the focus of, of, of Ruth is the hope and the love of God. God's, on God's personal, profound, unfailing love is what is experienced. And that's the same God that we serve today. We think we're too far gone for God. We think that that person is beyond the reach of God. Ruth proves that over and over again. That's not the case. God is a good God, and he's full of hope. There's always hope with God. Now, something that we should just note here, it is a woman. It is a story about a woman. Um, it's also a, a, a story that's told from a woman's perspective. And something interesting, in religions that are away from God, when people step away from God, or religions that do not know the one true God, women are always, always oppressed. Christianity values women. 
uh, women are equal. They're not doormats. Uh, in many countries around the world, women are just mistreated. Christ, in Christ, women are treated well and, and should be. Uh, you'll notice around here, we don't make jokes about women, about the, 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 the God-given role of women. Uh, women are valuable. The Bible says that we as husbands are to treat them as the weaker vessel. That's not because they're weak. That's not because they're weak. The idea is that of a china cup, a more precious vessel. And so as opposed to an oil pan, a china cup. And that's how we're to treat it, okay? And so God, that God elevates women. And even here in this story, God elevates women. Now, something that's just going on in our day. We see even here in our own state, things going on with a whole transgender movement and, and whether uh, those that claim to be transgender can, uh, can, insert, uh, can play in women's sports. This is an insult to womanhood everywhere. What's going on over the Olympics is an insult to womanhood. It's wrong. It, it, it is, is devaluing. And you know what's amazing? Our country is so much about the feminist movement, and now we've swung all the way to the other side. Now it's, now it's let's degrade, degradate it. And you can, you can be a woman if you just say that you're a woman one day. And this is so, so mind-boggling. But you know, as we move away from God, the further we move away from God, the more of this stuff that does not make sense, does not make biblical sense, does not make scientific sense, it does not make sense, right? Why? Because sin always uh, causes us to, uh, to be foolish in our thinking. And that's exactly what's going on even in our day. But this story elevates and really shows God's value of, of, of three women in particular. And uh, the story centers around Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And Boaz being that kinsman redeemer. Chapter 1, the days of the judges, they're dark. This family's living in Bethlehem. They go to Moab. They, uh, uh, we have the loss of the husbands. They begin to return. Uh, Naomi is going back as Mara. She is bitter. And she blames God for this. She's going back. Call me, call me bitter. Call me Mara. And she's going back. And Ruth wants to go back. Oprah wants to go back with her. And she, she pushes and says, no daughters-in-law. I don't have anyone else. Even if I could have a child today, there's no way you would wait around to, uh, to, for this, this son of mine to raise up uh, seed with you. And so go back to your home. Don't come with me. And Ruth um, gives that statement in verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse number 16. I'm coming. Your God's going to be my God. We use that oftentimes at weddings. But really, it's, it's a story of someone saying, I have decided to follow Jesus is what it is. And it's an amazing, amazing statement there in chapter 1 and verse 16. So turn into chapter uh, 2, we find there's a need for food. What are we going to do? We're two widows in the land. What are we going to do? And so Ruth says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look. And God providentially lands her in the field of Boaz. And this good man notices her. And though it would have been a time where she could be taken advantage of, Boaz says, none of you guys, uh, you just you, you, uh, you, uh, keep your distance and you take care of her. Leave some extra, uh, leave some extra stuff in the field. And, and God providentially provides for her. So as she returns home, Naomi's very happy. And it has jogged her memory. She knew in chapter number one there was no kinsman redeemer. She said there was no, uh, unless I have a child, there's no, uh, there's no one for you. So uh, she had evidently forgotten about Boaz or uh, didn't know if he still, if there were any kinsman redeemer uh, still left in the land. And so she was very happy to find out there's this Boaz who is our family's redeemer. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Chapter three, Naomi and 
Ruth make plans. It's like two women getting together. Now, how can we get this? How can we get you hitched up? How can we get you married? I mean, this is exactly what's going on. And, and so uh, she stops wearing the clothes of, of a grieving woman, uh, widow. Uh, she makes her intentions clear. Kind of a, a, a crazy story. She goes to the threshing, sto- uh, uh, thr- uh, threshing floor that night and, uh, and, and lays down there at the feet of Boaz. Kind of a very interesting cultural story that goes on not again the the way that uh, would be a wise way to go about trying to find a a spouse but uh, nonetheless uh, uh, that's what she was doing and making her intentions clear Boaz says I will redeem you I will redeem you now what's that all about this matter of the kinsman redeemer in in uh, Ruth 2 and verse number 20 Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, this man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And so there was a, a law in Israel called the Leveret uh, Law that required those, the nearest kinsmen to, uh, to basically marry and to raise up seed uh, to, uh, and it, there was an obligation to the, uh, to the dead brother or the dead, uh, the dead man relative uh, to raise up his seed in Israel. And so this was a custom that was going on. In fact, if you go fast forward to, um, to the Gospels, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to Jesus and ask, okay, there was a, fam- there was a, there was a, uh, uh, a, a woman who was married and her husband died and, and so the, the brother to, uh, married her and, and he died and, and all the way down the line. Now which, which one, uh, which does she belong to in heaven? So this was, this was an accentuation of, of the Leveret Law. And Jesus says, well, there's no marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. And so he, he, he pulls the rug out from under them in that sense. But that was a law that, uh, that God had in place in that time so that a family would not lose its name, its line in, in Israel. So this was a moral obligation on the part of a near kinsman. And the beautiful picture of that is that is what Jesus is to us, our kinsman redeemer. Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ, the one who comes and, and, and uh, cares for us. Uh, and what an amazing, uh, amazing picture. We're dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. And so we come to chapter number four. Last minute, Boaz discovers there's another nearer kinsman. And so he goes to him, hey, do you want the land? Do you want Naomi's land? And by the way, you've got to marry the Moabitess. And he says no. And, uh, and so there's, there's, uh, there's a no-go uh, with this other kinsman redeemer, and he finally gets to marry Ruth. And the book ends with greater joy than the sadness in the beginning. It's an amazing thing how when we give our life to God, when we trust his way, when we trust his plan, how God takes care of it all. And he certainly did that. And so as we think about the book of Ruth, there's, God is, 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 is almost not mentioned at all. Uh, he is there, his providential hand is there, similar to Esther, his providential hand is there. We see him rescuing and, and redeeming to himself. What, a, what, an amazing, what an amazing story it is. It's a story of hope, God's providence in our life, and we can trust God to do the same exact for us. The story ends with the genealogy that leads to Jesus the Messiah. Ruth is in the line. Ruth is in the line as a Moabitess. What an amazing story. And even in the worst events of our life, they're not final events. When God has his hand in the midst of it, God can turn our stories around for very good. So these books really reveal the loving, uh, lovingness and the holiness of our God, longing for his people to be close to him and be in relationship with him. Uh, his people wandering away, but him bringing deliverance into their life as they call out to him and as they d- decide to trust and obey. 
And, uh, you know, when we experience, when we walk close to God, when we stay close to God, we do get to experience his rich goodness. His rich goodness. Ruth is a picture of that. It's a snapshot of the rich goodness of God. And that's what God longs to bring into our lives. No, Christianity isn't always easy. But with God, he does bring his rich goodness. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And uh, anytime we, we walk away from him, we'll find bondage. But when we come to him, we'll find rich, rich goodness. And let's thank him for that tonight. Thank you, Father, for the goodness that you've displayed in our lives. Thank you for bringing Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, to redeem us from the curse of the law. To redeem us from our sin. Thank you that we have the hope of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us. Thank you for being patient to us when we wander away from you. Thank you for delivering us by Jesus Christ, even in the midst of our, our own wanderings as your, as your children. Thank you for being a very patient and good God to us. Lord, I pray that none of us would be on the cycle of sin this, uh, th at this moment. Lord, I pray that all of us would be at peace with you, that we'd be right with you, that we'd have you first in our lives. And Lord, we need your help with that. We need your Holy Spirit to convict us and not let us go when we're wandering from you. So help us tonight to be at peace with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, I give you an opportunity just to commit that in prayer. Are you right with God? Are you at peace with God tonight? Or are you at that point where you're suffering in the bondage of your own sin, your own choices, and you, you rather than, than an arrogance saying, you know, I can get my way through, I can, I, I'll, I'll deliver myself. Would you just say, God, I need you to deliver me. I messed up again. Would you forgive me? Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.